0: Alright, I want to pick up where we left off last week in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> giving you a chance to heal up from last week's pummeling around the head and shoulders. And uh so now you're ready for round two, right? <sighs> I tell you what, it's hard to prepare these messages because I gotta sit with this all week. You 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 gotta deal with it for 40 minutes. But uh Uh, I'm, I'm wearing some of Kelly's makeup this morning to hide the bruises. No, that's not true. I just made that up. I just made that up. If you're watching me on camera, and you've heard that the camera adds 10 pounds, let me tell you, it's not the camera. Jesus began his first and most famous and best-loved sermon in this way seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying and we started last week in these opening the opening salvo of the sermon on the mount the more i'm The more I'm reading and the more I'm praying and the more I'm listening and the more I'm thinking and trying to find ways for me uh, to apply this in my own life and then to share with you how God is showing me ways to to apply his word in my own life, uh, the more I'm beginning to understand that these first statements that Jesus makes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, these first statements are really... The opening, the introductory, bold statement that he begins the Sermon on the Mount with, and then everything that comes after these nine statements, uh, in some sense, are applications of these nine principles. We, we started last week, and this morning we come to verse 6, the fourth of these statements of blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Yeah. What are you hungry for? Last night... When I was going to bed, um, the smell of corned beef and cabbage was already beginning to waft through the house. The crock pot was busily doing what crock pots do. <laughs> We're having uh, some of our family over today for our annual St. Patrick's Day feast. This morning I woke up and I remembered, oh, today is corned beef day. Now, a lot of you already did this, all right? So we're late. Give us a break. Show me a little mercy. We're coming to that. What are you hungry for? I know it's a bad question to ask on a Sunday morning when you're already a couple hours after breakfast and you're already starting to think about what you're going to have for dinner. I know that's the way I come to church. Some time ago, a question was asked in a discussion group of which I am a part. It's a question that comes up often. You've probably heard this question before. What would you do if you won the lottery? Of course, there are a lot of answers to that question. My answer this time when the question was put to me was, what would you you do if you won the lottery? I'd say, "I'd, I'd wonder how I got a ticket. Whatever you might say in answer to that question, one thing is almost certainly true: you've thought about it. I've got a big imagination, you know. God says, "I can, I can do, um, I can do, I can, I can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or even imagine." And I have a wild imagine. My imagination is really well exercised. How about yours? It's the strongest part of me. Maybe you didn't win the lottery. Maybe you inherited a fortune from a wealthy relative. Or maybe you really do have a Nigerian prince who wants to give you, a complete stranger, a foolish amount of money. Hunger and thirst are very powerful images. What would you do if you were hungry enough? People will do unthinkable things if they get hungry enough. You're familiar with the term hangry? How can we turn these powerful impulses that drive us to do sometimes unthinkable things... How can we use this hunger and thirst and let it drive us toward whatever righteousness is? Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. One person restated the idea this way. Those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. Jesus said to his disciples in John 4, 34, they they were passing through Samaria. Jesus had a particular reason for being at a particular place in Samaria, Jacob's well, at just the right moment. It was lunchtime, the middle of the day. The disciples were hungry. Jesus sent them into the closest village to get something to eat because he knew that there was going to be a woman coming out to this well In the middle of the day so that nobody else would be there nobody nobody wanted to be drawing water from the well in the hottest part of the day and then lugging it back to her place she didn't want to meet anyone so she came in the middle of the day just when Jesus knew she would be there and he had this beautiful conversation with her you can you can read it in the first part of John chapter 4 and after that conversation ended, the disciples, in perfect timing, showed back up. And they asked, you know, we, we just had a great lunch there in town. We went to the Bagel King. There was a matzah hut there. And they said, you know, master, master, aren't you hungry? And he answered, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And that seemed to fully satisfy our Lord. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't eat. But what was he hungry for? He was hungry to do what God sent him to do, had appointed for him to do. And I wonder if we were to really, really ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? I mean really, not just, not just wear the bracelet or the keychain or the bumper sticker WWJD, but really, really think about in any given circumstance, in, every, in any given situation, if I ask myself, what is the right thing for me to do here? And am I hungry to do that? Do I have a thirst to do that which is pleasing in God's sight? Am I, look, am I every once in a while turning to see if God isn't standing right there looking over my shoulder and I want him to see what I'm doing? Are you proud of me? Are you pleased with what I'm doing? Like I remember doing as a boy. When my father was showing me how to do something. What if when I faced a decision that carries with it some value of right and wrong, I were to say, where is the righteousness in this option? Where is the righteousness? Where is the thing that God would say, yes, That's the direction that I want you to turn. Paul talks about this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the... While I'm living here on earth, I'm away from the Lord. For we we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes? We are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, that's all by itself that's challenging because I'm not going to stand in front of you and say, I'd rather be dead. God put me here to live and it'll be up to him. When, when that part of his purpose for my life is finished. So I'm looking forward to the day when I am at home with the Lord, but I'm not in a hurry to be finished here. I'm, I'm having a good time. I am. I'm enjoying this abundant life that he has given to me. I know it's not forever. I know I'm not going to be here. Away from home forever. But while I am, I'm going to try to enjoy it and please him. This is what Paul says. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. And if it is true that we are making it our aim to please God, if I am aiming my arrows (laughs) at the target of pleasing God, if I am setting my course to the destination of well, go, well done, good and faithful servant, if that is what I am aiming at, then I have to do it every time, in every situation, in every decision, in the way that I interact with every other human being that I bump into. In my relationships at home, in my relationships at work, or at school, or uh, at the stadium or uh, in the supermarket or in the toll plaza or anywhere in the in between places when i encounter somebody there's an opportunity for me to aim to please god in every interaction that i have There's an opportunity for me to please God in every solitary moment that I am spending. When no one else is seeing. Who I am when no one else is looking. That's who I am. How does a person go about pleasing God? How do I please God? Go ahead, ask me that question. Go ahead. Not not, not how do you please God. How do I please God? How do you... you Go ahead. Try it again. There it is. How do I please God? I'm glad you asked. The question has been asked officially in Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves, just a year old, set apart from birth to be offered as a as a sacrifice in the temple. Is that how I should try to please God? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Maybe I'm especially wealthy. I can, I can lead in a herd. I can, I can say to my whole community, Hey, I am going to give a generous gift of thousands of of rams, I am going to pay for the sacrifice of our whole village this year. Wouldn't you be excited to be able to do that? Would God be pleased with that? Will will God be pleased with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Hmm, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is this what will please God? Can I give enough to please God? Micah 6, verse 8. This is the verse you know. He's told you, O man, O person. He has told you what is good. How do I please God? He's told me. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. To show mercy to others implies that you have a claim against them. They are in your power or in your debt. Mercy is shown by those in power to those who were in a weaker position. I, I think I talked about this a couple of years ago. Uh, we used to play this game as boys. We would, we would lock fingers with one another and we would try to bend the other person's wrist back. Remember this game, boys? Do girls play this game? I wasn't allowed to play this game with my younger sisters. <laughs> who wins this game? Who wins this game? The bigger, stronger person. The person with more ruthlessness. The person who wants to hurt you is the person who's going to win this game. And, what, and how you know you've won is when the other person cries for mercy. Mercy to have the right and the ability to hurt someone to punish them to make them pay for the wrong they've done you to demand payment or satisfaction of a debt and then to pass and then to pass on that opportunity to let it go to yield the right to yield the right to be right to forego the punishment. That's what mercy is. You might remember the story told in the, the little letter of Paul to Philemon. About Onesimus, a runaway slave. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Onesimus was a slave. Philemon owned him. Philemon became a Christian. And Onesimus escaped from Philemon's service. He ran away. Under Roman law, Onesimus, a runaway slave, was a wanted criminal, and his crime of running away from his master was punishable up to death. The master of a runaway slave, had the legal right to take that slave's life. Onesimus, running away, ran all the way from Asia Minor, Colossae, all the way to the city of Rome, and as luck would have it, encountered this guy named Paul. Paul, who never did anything except preach the gospel, preached the gospel, and Onesimus, the runaway slave, heard it, believed it, repented of his sin, received forgiveness from God for his sin, and was born again. Thank you. (laughs) Listen. Onesimus' story, that's my story. That's your story. I was a sinner running until God apprehended me with grace. I heard, I believed, I repented, I received forgiveness, and I was born again. Now let me try that again. We're getting there. Paul, knowing Onesimus' testimony, said, Onesimus, you've got to do the right thing now. You've got to go back home. And you've got to ask forgiveness from the master that you wronged. Because the master that you met has forgiven you But there's still some consequences. There's still some unresolved things on earth that you're going to have to get clear. There's a lesson in that for us. But that's not today's message. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with the letter. And the letter that Onesimus carries to Philemon tells Philemon, Philemon, this Worthless servant, that's the name Onesimus means worthless. This worthless servant has become valuable. I recognize value in him and I'm sending him back to you. And now he is not only your runaway slave, but your brother in Christ. He's doing the right thing by coming back. Now, Philemon, I expect you to also do the right thing. And receive him back as a brother. Blessed are the merciful. Jesus declares that those who show mercy to those in their power will receive mercy from God who is our righteous judge. That same verse... That same verse that we looked at a moment ago in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do what is right and to love mercy. See, I emphasize in the NIV the word is translated mercy. It's the word hesed. Try that one. Got something in your throat? (laughs) Chesed, Chesed, loving kindness, mercy. There's another Hebrew word, (laughs) Racham. See, wouldn't you like to be a Hebrew and be able to make these nasty-sounding noises all the time? Chesed means kindness and loving kindness and mercy. And racham can be translated in the same way. And when we find both words together in the same place, it really says, hey, there's something for us to see here. Here's a verse that is very similar to Micah 6, 8, but one that we don't come across. I don't have a slide for it. You might want to write this reference in your notes if you're taking notes. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is what God says. Render true judgments, show kindness, chesed, show kindness and mercy, racham, to one another. Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. James in the New Testament gives us this one, James chapter 2, verse 15. If, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, "Ah, oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Do my kind words fill their empty belly? Do my well wishes clothe them? When you you really stop and think about this, time and time and time and time again, God puts opportunities in front of us to show mercy. to show mercy in our actions to show mercy mercy to show mercy in our decisions to show mercy in our countenance how i look at another human being there's one more lamentations 3 22 and 23 this one's so well known we've got a famous hymn based on it Through the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. It's through the Lord's chesed that we are not just wiped off the face of the earth. And his racham, his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And it makes us cry out, great God is your faithfulness. One other thing is as uh, exposing to us this idea of mercy again from Paul. This is Paul's instructions to Titus, Titus chapter three. Remind them, Titus, Titus, remind them, remind the people in Crete who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Remind them who are growing in their faith and learning to encourage one another and learning to help and teach. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to be ready for every good work. Remind them to speak evil of no one. Remind them to avoid quarreling. Remind them to be gentle. Remind them to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Just that list alone, just that list alone are things for us to set in front of us. Maybe put this on the mirror that you see as you're getting ready to go off to work or school in the morning. I am supposed to be submissive to those in authority. I'm supposed to be obedient. I'm supposed to be ready for every good work that God sets in front of me today. I'm supposed to speak evil of no one. No one. I'm supposed to avoid quarreling. I'm supposed to be gentle. I'm supposed to show perfect courtesy to all. Here's why he goes on. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Do you see yourself? This is who we used to be. In another place, Paul says, But you are washed. You are delivered. You are set free. So why should we keep going back to that? Paul continues, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us right not because we are so righteous but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly this is why this is one of the reasons why i think baptism by immersion gets gets the right image because we're not just getting a little drip or a little sprinkle of God's mercy, right? We're being overwhelmed. We're being plunged beneath the healing flood. I'm not just holding out my hand for just a little drop of God's blessing. I'm saying, pour it on. He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Because of God's mercy toward us. One more verse on mercy. The end of a, a parable that Jesus taught about forgiving. This woman had been um, scandalized. She found her way into a dinner party where Jesus was a guest. She came uninvited and she threw herself at Jesus' feet and and uh, tearfully worshipped, bathing his feet with her tears, drying her, his feet with her hair, pouring a precious, valuable ointment of perfume on his feet who puts perfume on their feet maybe there are a few and she was ridiculed and mocked and and the host of the party a righteous man sneered and, and they whispered to each other if if he knew the kind of woman that was touching him Jesus of course heard the heard the thought he tells a parable, the one who has forgiven a, a small debt and the one who has forgiven a great debt. Who loves more, the one forgiven a little bit or the one forgiven a lot? Who loves more? And they said, well, of course, the one who's forgiven the bigger debt. And he said, that's right. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little... Loves little. (laughs) Do you want to love little? Or do you want to love much? If anybody's going to accuse me of loving too much, go ahead. Prove it. I don't want to be accused of loving too little. Jody and I were talking this week about a project we're working on, we're not sure if we're doing the right thing, and we talked to to one another and we said, if we're going to make a mistake, let's make a mistake in the right direction. (laughs) Jesus makes it clear, the one who has received mercy becomes merciful. If they've if they've understood that they have been the beneficiary of mercy, when they get the opportunity, they want to be the benefactor. And we all understand this, and it's really easy. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. It's way more fun to give than to receive. It requires a lot of humility to receive mercy. It's way more fun... And way more satisfying to be in a position of giving. Blessed is the one who has received mercy, for they learn to be merciful. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, you ready? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. I remember the ivory soap commercial. Maybe some of you will. Ivory soap. 99 and 44 one hundredths percent pure soap. That's pretty close to 100%. But what is the other 56 hundredths? How, how... Humbling to have to say, well, 99 and 44 one hundredths, but I am not going to be so boastful as to say, I got the last 56 hundredths too. Here's what um, my new good friend, Martin Lloyd Jones, says. Anyone who realizes even something of the meaning of the words blessed are the pure in heart can approach them only with a sense of awe and of complete inadequacy. Just just look at me for a minute. Take a good look. I am not the example of what it means to be pure in heart. I am not the guy to look at. Anybody here? <sighs> Behind this screen there's a cross. We sang earlier, lead me to the cross. Lead me to the cross where his love poured out. That's our example. God says to us through the prophet Isaiah, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? All the way to 99 and 100 one hundredths. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross who was dying for his sins. Jesus was dying for his sins. And mine and yours. And in the moment, in the moment of judgment that man on the cross next to Jesus said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. That dying thief in that moment was made pure. Had he lived, come off the cross, miraculously survived, he would immediately, as soon as his feet touched ground again, it would immediately have been 99 and 44, 100 percent and counting down. <laughs> How do I know that? Because that is the human experience. In the moments, in the moment that I call out to God in repentance and ask for God's forgiveness and mercy, in that moment I am suddenly pure, forgiven, until the next moment when my mind or my action or my word, that next moment. To admit. That I possess an impure heart is the first and the most important step toward allowing God's Spirit to purify that which in me is impure. My prayer, my heart's cry is, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Six down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is preaching. And like many preachers, there is a methodology to his delivery. And he is Jewish. And he is making use here of what in Jewish poetry is called parallelism. You see it in the Psalms. You see it in the Proverbs especially. Trust in the Lord with all your heart statement. Lean not on your own understanding. Parallel statement. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Parallel statement. And pay off. He will direct your paths. Here are six parallel statements. Don't don't get caught up in thinking which one of these do I need to work on. Because the answer is, all of them, all the time. Now, sometimes, sometimes what comes to the forefront is the opportunity to mourn over something that is wrong, something that is not where it should be in my own heart or in the experiences of those around me. We're mourning today over the conditions of the world, especially in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. We're mourning over that, right? Blessed is the pure in spirit, the the poor, the poor is the pure in spirit, pure in heart, poor in spirit. I'm all confused. (laughs) Sometimes, Sometimes what's in front of me is this realization. Like we sang, we fall down and we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes what's in front of me is I I want to say something right now because my rights have been trampled but instead God is saying blessed are the meek who don't always have to know don't always have to have everyone around them know that they are right. This is this is one of the biggest differences between me now and me uh, as a 30-year-old preacher for the first time. I knew I was right. And I saw it as my job to convince everybody else that I was right. I've grown out of that. I still think I'm right. (laughs) Now think about it for a minute. Don't you? Of course you do. We all do. We think we're right. If I thought I was wrong, I would change it. I think I'm right. But I no longer feel like it's my job to make you agree with me about me being right. Some, a little bit of growth there, I think. Sometimes, sometimes following Jesus means ah, it's been a while since I've been hungry for righteousness. It's been a while since I have been thirsty to see God's righteousness shine through. Sometimes it's because God puts somebody in front of me that I have the I have the power I have the means to help to show mercy sometimes what's in front of me is hey Dennis 99 and 44 hundredths percent pure you're not even measuring up to ivory soap you're not even you're not even close What are you going to do about that, Dennis? What are you going to do about the realization that there's something impure in you? There's three more to come next week. But this gives us plenty to consider for the week ahead of us. I think it does. Let's get back to work. Thank you, Father, for your word. Again, I guess you have pummeled us. Have you beaten us yet into submission? We call out to you mercy. Please, be merciful on me, a sinner. Help me to hunger for what pleases you. Help that to be the focus of my ambition. That my aspiration is. Whether I am at home or away my aim is to please you. Help me to be merciful. Help me to grow in a pure spirit and pure heart. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Sing with me, Create Me Clean Heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from thy presence oh lord and take not thy holy spirit for salvation and renew the right spirit within me this is a prayer Let's sing it like you're praying it this morning and if you want to come up and kneel here do it nobody's going to care sing it with me creating me a clean heart Creating me a clean heart, oh, and renew my spirit within me, creating me a clean heart, oh. me not away. And cast me not away from thy presence, O oh Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore. salvation and renew rights right spirit within me we're just going to play this through without any singing and if you don't want to come up and pray here you can pray in your seat but pray this prayer God created me a clean heart cast me not away and cast me not away from thy presence oh Lord and take Salvation, and renew a right spirit within me, create in me a clean heart, oh God. That is our prayer this morning, God creating us a clean heart. Only you can do that for us. But we have to give up ourselves. Help us to do that. Help us this week as we interact with people that may not think like us. We are yours. We love you. We thank you for what you've done here this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray.